Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. This episode of the SickCast is from a live webinar that originally aired March 6, 2021. The webinar is facilitated and hosted by Inikor. Enjoy. Thank you all for joining today's webinar hosted by the Sikh Research Institute. My name is Jasleen Kaur and today's event will be on collecting her story, narratives that shape our futures. I'm more than honored to introduce our guest speakers for today. To start, we have Shauna Singh Baldwin, who is the author of several novels. She is also a recipient of numerous awards, such as the Writers' Union of Canada Prize for Short Fiction, the CBC Literary Prize, and many more. Her play, We Are So Different Now, premiered in Canada in 2016, and this is only a few of her many achievements. You can find more of her work on her website at shaunasingbaldwin.com. We also have with us today Geet Anjali Singh. Janda, um, who is currently an associate professor at the University Department of Ashoka. Um, she has also have been a senior lecturer in the Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies program at Yale University, where she taught for 15 years. She has written a book called Indian Women in the House of Fiction, which is now in its third edition with the University of Chicago Press. Due to Wi-Fi issues, we'll not be able to see her. However, her audio works, so we'll be able to hear her. And finally, we have Inni Kaur, who, who serves as the creative director of the Sikh Research Institute. She's an influential leader, respected artist, poet, and published author. Inni Kaur is dedicated to a community, to community and the service of others and continues to be an integral member of several faith-based organizations. You can find out more about her on her website at inikor.com. I'll now pass on the floor to Inikor, who will lead the discussion portion of the webinar. Good morning, good evening, Guru Fateh. Uh, we are in multiple time zones. A very, very warm welcome to everyone. And before I begin, I have a confession. I am in awe of these two women, Shauna and Gitanjali. And I want to share something because it is not particularly for women. It is not every day or we don't, at least not in my world, that I, that we actually honor the women who have affected us, whether we've met them or not. And I want to speak about Sean, about you, you know, your book, What the Body Remembers. I've read it twice. And the first time it was an overwhelming read, I cried. The second time I cried too, but it was a much deeper read and it connected me with a part of myself. That book enabled me to appreciate my grandmothers, my mother and myself. And I realized that there's a lot of them, that I carry them, they are with me. I cannot separate from that. And it made me embrace that part of me. So thank you for that. Um, I don't know whether people tell you that or not, but I really do did want to share that with you. And Gita, Gitanjali and I go back 
a long way, not too long. But she is the one who has challenged me to think about um, about faith, uh, home, tradition, modernity, and a lot of many other things. And these discussions have been robust, but they have not left any scars. And we are still, we still enjoy a deep friendship. So Geetha, for you, thank you for always pushing me and saying, read this book. You need to think that, and this is what you need to do. So I am with two women who I truly admire and thank you to both of them. So I want to begin by asking you, and I actually I'm really grateful for whichever entity has put together this Women's Day because that allowed me to bring the two of you together and for the three of us to have this conversation. So I want to begin with you, Shona. What does Women's Day mean to you personally? You know, the uh, International Women's Day is something that we need to think about globally. And, you know, the internet allows us that ability to, to bring down the borders and start thinking of ourselves as 50% of the world's population, not just as women in the US or women in India or women in Canada. You know, we need to think of ourselves in a much larger sense as having an impact on the entire world. So for me, International Women's Day is a chance to think about the world without borders. Um, imagine there's no country, you know, and to say, um, to reach out across those borders and say, how are you doing? How are you doing in your part of the world? And how can I help you? And for me, that is that is the key to International Women's Day. Mm, lovely. Geeta? First of all, Ini, thank you for that glowing uh, introduction. Ill-deserved, <laughs> but happy to see it anyway. And Shona, a real pleasure to see you again. Jessleen, most of all, for walking us through the intricacies of technology. If you can see a faceless presence, but presence nonetheless, it's thanks to Jessleen. I wish we didn't have to mark or celebrate International Women's Day. Marking it out in this way shows us that there's still a need to right the balance and recognize women. After all, we don't celebrate Men's Day, do we? Maybe because every day is Men's Day. In the early days, when I thought of Women's Day, it felt like a cheesy hallmark occasion where you pay lip service to women, like we do to mothers on Mother's Day. So you give them a present, take them out for lunch, wrap, done for the year. But now, I do see that it's important to remind people that women exist and should be recognized and celebrated in every sphere of our lives. True. Um, I also thought about it as being cheesy, you know, to begin with. But then I said, no, let's celebrate. And I'm a great one for celebration. I said, you know what? If there's a des day designated, I'm going to celebrate it really well and every other day is also a celebration because it's that recognition of of that part of humanity 
and to be that voice for so many who do not have that um, that ability to speak. But Shona, I want to go to your book, you know, and I harp about that because there's so much in there, um, what the body remembers, and you know, you 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 have you you constructed that book or you narrated that book. Um, multi-generational, historical, there's so much packed in there. So can you speak to me about us? What was your inspiration and why did you choose, if you consciously made that decision of choosing that lens to tell this very important narrative? But I think, because I think that book really was one of the groundbreaking books of us looking at partition in that light. Yeah, I, I didn't set out to write a partition novel, frankly. I um I started from a memoir that my grandmother wrote with me when she came to the US. And I cringe to tell it now because uh, at the time I was this hotshot IT consultant and I was running around to clients and she was alone at home. And so I handed her a yellow pad and a, and a pen and said, you know, it would be really nice if you wrote your story for me, et cetera, you know, like to keep you busy type of thing. And the first day I came back and she was in floods of tears. And I said, oh, my God, I thought it would be a nice activity for you, not, not something that was going to really tear you apart this way. I said, what happened? And she says, so I'm writing my story. <laughs> so anyway, we worked together um, on a 60-page uh, memoir that uh, basically is a family document. And the reason I say it's a family document is because when I read it, I realized it needed so much more context to bring the events into some context for, for, for a modern reader. You see, I knew the people she was talking about, but when you start talking about the partition, you start talking about a story that has come to one side of the border and the setting is left on the other. So mm -hmm. in order to explain what happened and things like that, you have to actually understand the setting that, the story came from in order to understand where they got to. So for me, it became a, a task of just educating myself first, because if you ask somebody who's older, you say, well, you know, tell me your story. They go, well, you know my story. It's fine. You know, but if you ask, where were you in the 1942 earthquake that hit Quetta? What were you doing at the time? All of a sudden, it's like, oh, yes, and you know, so-and-so came to visit us, and so-and-so stayed with us for three years, and da-da-da-da. So it's a whole different way of questioning, a way of interviewing. And I really had never done that before. I'd been a, a radio host uh, for a program, and I had uh, written short stories, but I'd never tackled a full-length book. And I suddenly realized she was handing me a novel to write. Mm. And I just had to do it. That's all. So, <laughs> but uh, as as it went on, I, I began to realize you couldn't just say partition happened. You had to study what was partition? Why did it take place? What was the result? And then what was the impact on our community, the Sikh community, as opposed to the majority communities, the Hindus and the Muslims? 
much had been written about them, but not much had been written about minority communities. So the task became bigger and bigger and bigger as I went along. And uh, I, I, the achievement for me was just finishing. <laughs> Sorry, I have Go to ahead. second me in saying how much I loved your book, uh, Shona. It is a book that I recommend to everyone to read because not only is it a wonderful story, it's also beautifully written. So the texture of feeling that you manage to communicate is quite amazing. Thank you. Yeah, you know, Shona, you, in that book, you gave equal weight. It was very sensitive that way you portrayed the, the, old, the older woman, you know, the wife, the first wife. Mm and the second wife and, and, and that tension. And, and that particular tension and that scene for me, because my grandmother was the second wife. Mm -hmm. And it was- Many you know, of us had grandmothers who were second wives, yes. yes. And, and the first grandmother did not have children. So it was very close to home. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that tension and then, you know, the, the aura of the man, my grandfather, was very much, it was like I was right there witnessing something. I, I want to say, though, that um, one of the reasons why I was so shocked by my grandmother's tears over over her story was that I had always heard her story. I had been with her maybe an hour a day for as long as I was, you know, growing up in India. And I had never heard half of what she was telling me. And I said to her, well, how is it that I'm learning your story now, you know, in 1996? And you never s spoken about this before. And she said, well, your grandfather used to tell my story. And she's right, you know, I mean, we all thought we knew her story because that's the story that my granddad used to tell. And he adored her, absolutely adored her. But it was his story when he told it, you know. Um, and I, I had to understand that it was even risky for her to tell it later on in life, too, not mm -hmm. just at the time. So. I had to really question whether um, whether she should uh, tell me more type of thing. And I asked her and she said, well, if you make it fiction, it should be all right. So I had to fictionalize a lot of things that really, you know, made it something very different. So, mm. Gita, how do you look so, at that where, where men own your story then, right? Um, it's so commonplace, Innie, that I don't think mm -hmm. one even thinks about it. But I do want to you to put on your writer's hat and your researcher's hat and tell us where are the women in Sikh history? Why do we not know them almost at all? For the same reason. Uh, men have told our story. Our uh, ten gurus were all men as well. Um, their wives are celebrated as being mothers and uh, progenitors, in other words, ancestors, but not as being individuals in their own right. So one of the things that we have to do, actually, is not only to claim, reclaim uh, Guru Nanak as a human being, 
and all of his avatars as well. But we also have to reclaim their wives and their um, and Sikh women in general from history as individuals, you know, with paradoxes in them, with conflicts, with issues with their families, with issues that with their children, you know. So we have to humanize our idols before we start to to understand ourselves even. Uh, because the the people we admire, you know, it it, it really it, it really um hampers us in a way from understanding not only those people as individuals, but understanding their message, what they want to say. Uh, one of the the dead, the um, inscriptions in uh, English lessons and other stories is, "Look not at my finger, look where I'm pointing," because it's really not the person who gives us the message. It is the message that we need to look at. But only when you think of that person as a human being can you really understand the message. And what their influences were to to bring you that message. And Guru Nanak being a, a case in point, he was such a rebel, you know. So. Uh, you know, it, I think for me it was when I was working on the Golden Temple exhibit and we wanted to highlight Sikh personalities and we wanted to make sure the gender balance was equal. And uh, so there's Bibi Harnamkor who, who began this orphanage and this educational institute and everything. And it's still running very much there. Mm-hmm. And we tried to look for a photograph of hers. And we went to the school. We went to the, the orphanage. And believe it or not, they did not have one photograph of her. And what they told me was, they said, well, we have a photograph of his of her husband. It's on in, in it's it's hanging in the school, you know, office. Mm-hmm. I said, but she's the one who began this mm-hmm. school. And you have a photograph of her husband, Hanji. You know, it's koi trunk which pay honiye unadi. So we ourselves don't value that. And for me, that was a really important. Uh, you know, it was like right on my face. Mm-hmm. So for the exhibit, what I chose to do was I left it blank. I put her name there. Every other had a photograph. Hers did not because that was point that I wanted to say that unless we don't because it was blind people asked why isn't it there yeah Yeah. that's when the conversations begin right right we Um, we have a a very difficult time in uh, trying to portray absence Um, mm -hmm. and uh, there's there's a um, art installation uh, where it's um, and I sorry I forget the uh, the artist but um she has a dinner table at which she has empty places and you're invited to bring different people to the table she's got people that she would like to honor but we also have to bring people to the table who have been influential in our history as well and then we also have to bring contemporary people uh to the table to show us how to go forward from there um i'm seeing one of the questions in the q a saying what steps can we sick women take to provide a safe platform to women experiencing domestic abuse and become the voice of such suppressed women well i think you first have to look at your own suppressions before you look at other women i i think we're very good at at pointing to the other woman and saying oh isn't she so suppressed isn't she so 
you know, oppressed. But I also think we have to look at our own lives and figure out where we are suppressed, where we are oppressed. And it's not a bad thing to start um, fighting for ourselves as well. The Sikhi teaches us always to fight for the other person. The Kirpan is there for the defense of the other person, right? But remember that we also have to have a certain amount of Homa in order to move forward. You cannot be someone without Homa unless you're dead. Gita? Yes, I'm sort of confused by what you're saying, Shona, because yes. at one level, I agree with you that especially in the tone of voice in which you said, oh, the other women, they're so suppressed, they're so yes. oppressed. No, yes. that's also something that needs to be recognized, admitted, seen, Absolutely. and acknowledged, because yes. we need to be empathetic and sympathetic to Very those true. women. Otherwise, Very we'll true. never understand any oppression, even our own. Absolutely. I'm not suggesting that we don't. I'm simply saying that our own um, fight with ourselves and with our own voices and making sure that our voices are, um, are heard before we even say that we can help anybody else. You first have to help yourself. I agree there, Shona. And you that's know, the um, real meaning of jihad also, isn't it? It's an internal struggle first. So I don't understand this whole fuss about how yourself is not a part of the larger whole. So Women's Day and International Women's Day is all very well, but it must include the men. If we need to have women's studies courses, as we do now, they should be made compulsory for the men. We sort of know it and we try to suppress it or hide it, but the men don't know. They're not mean, wicked, horrible people. They just don't know any better. So if there's any education that needs to be happening, it's with the men. Mm. Uh, you know, we are culpable on that one too, by the way. And we're culpable in the fact that we raise boys to be not women. Absolutely. And so we create the monsters that we ultimately face. And I think that, that we need to, again, take a look at ourselves and ask ourselves, just what are we creating when we raise our boys, when we uh, tie a rakhri on a brother and say, please protect me, I'm so vulnerable. You know, that is not um, standing up for yourself. And if if there's anything that I really would hope for is that we stand up for ourselves and for others, both. We have to keep fighting. Um, yeah. And Indy and I were talking I, about that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I, because, you know, it, it is, I, I truly agree because in, in, my, in my journey, it is I, you know, for, from someone who barely spoke uh, to be where I am. I mean, I was that, that child in that corner and I've said this before, that never opened her mouth. Mm. Uh, and to be here, it's, but I always, and even when I am speaking, I'm extremely aware of that child in the corner. Mm -hmm. And to come to this place, I had to 
come to a lot of understanding, learning a lot and about myself, loving myself, forgiving myself, and then saying, okay, now I think I understand it a little bit because to understand someone's pain or where that oppression is, is you really need to look at it at yourself. Yeah, I mean, I look at your own privilege. I think yeah. that that's yeah. also very important to look at our own privilege because you can only reach um, out and, and help somebody else if you're understanding that you have a, a podium, a platform, uh, a voice, um, the privilege, whether it's money or whether it's um, safety, uh, to help somebody else. You still have to recognize that in yourself. I was going to say class also. We need to unpack how we can step out into the world with such confidence. Where do we get that confidence? Whatever it is that we do have, it is because of our positioning in our families. Yeah. yeah. Partly. Yeah. So that leads us to a discussion of caste, that leads us to a discussion of class, that leads us to a discussion of education, of religious equity. I mean, um, you know, everything opens up from that point when we start to examine our privilege and then start to examine um, what we can and cannot do for other people. Right. I mean, I have two authors. I have an educator on here as well. I want to ask the question is, you know, are all women's narratives important? Do they need a historical background? What and what makes it a woman's narrative? While, yes, I, I like the idea of it being a woman's narrative, I want to broaden it up. Why should it be a woman's narrative? You know, it's picking up on Gita, what she has said, you know, to a women, International Women's Day is wonderful, but is there a larger part? So speak to me, Shona and Gita, on that, because the two of you are so entrenched in that work. How do you look at it? Gita, you go. How do you look at it, Gita? Let's flip the question to Annie. See, for me, that, that's Where very is simple. I mean, I, I'm a feminist, so a feminist uh, means a woman is a person. So end of story. Everybody's story is, is important. So I, I don't see that as a very um, difficult um, issue, but you do. So tell us. No, I, you know, I mean, because I hear, you know, because I love to do um, – stories of of just women just it be in the gurdwara so i'll go up to them tell me your story and they'll say there's nothing to tell mm-hmm. it was a very ordinary story mm-hmm. i said but no story is an ordinary story every mm-hmm. story there's a lot it's how you tell it mm-hmm. so this idea that my story is a very ordinary story mm-hmm. and it does it's not worth telling mm-hmm. that's that word what is it that holds us back from not recording it, and is every story important? I'm speaking from that light. I personally believe uh, that it is, but there seems to be a huge barrier. And I had to also understand what that every woman's story, because of the perspective that they bring in, is different. So, you know, and because you write, and Geeta, because you teach, I'm asking that question to the two of you in that light. 
So if I could go in um, to answer that, it's interesting to me that you ask that question at all, because there are actually three different questions there. So are all women's stories worthy, useful, interesting? No, obviously not. Um, but who are they worthy for and why? And I think that's a very important question. Every mother, sister, wife at home needs to let her family know her story. And because it's hers, it will and should be really important to her children, to the family around her. Mm -hmm. The second question was about historical context. Yeah, it's important to know that. And as Shona said about what the body remembers, there, it was placed in a historical context, but she felt there could have been more. But I feel, you know, the, the story was so wonderful. And if you know the story, it deepens it. It becomes more enriched by that. But it's still a wonderful story, story regardless of that. And the third story is, for too long, women have kept themselves and their stories within the confines of the domestic, within the confines of home, and let their husbands, their fathers, etc., take over the narratives. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. even when we call it um, Women's Day, it sort of continues to annoy me because. We shouldn't have to be doing that. And we need to be seeing women um, in both the home context and how their stories are so wonderful in the home context. But now, since the 70s at least, we have seen women play a really important part since Gandhiji's time in the public sphere. So in Gandhiji's time, the women were called out to march the salt march. Gandhiji said, you have no right to be sitting at home. Come out and join the fight. We see that in the Chipko movement in the 70s. It was a women's-led movement. Um, now we've seen it in Shaheen Bagh um, in the 2019-2020. And we've seen it now in the farmers' party, where you see and on trucks. And imagine just a few years ago, women were not meant to touch mechanical things because um, they brought bad luck. Yeah. Machinery was not their thing. And now you have these women sitting atop the trucks and saying, this is My our fight. Yeah. No fight is just a woman's fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we're speaking about women whose stories are kind of over in a sense. They they are in their 50s or 60s when we talk about telling their stories, let's say even even older. But what I also want to mention is how important it is to create your own story, to create your own narrative in your 20s, in your 30s, and every five years, have a midlife crisis, please. <laughs> and, you know, and start asking yourself, Am I living from day to day? Am I existing or am I creating a narrative I can look back on when I'm 84 years old or something and saying, you know what? I did something. I actually 
created something. I was a help to somebody. You know, if you don't have a sense of creating your narrative from the age of 20 something onward, I think you'll look back in a very different way and say, you know, I could have, would have, should have done these things, but I just didn't have the energy, the time, the space, mm -hmm. whatever it is. I want to be at a stage when I'm 80 something to look back and say, I regret nothing. Hmm. If I didn't know you better, I would call you an ageist right now. Because <laughs> just because you've reached 60, 70, 80, and you don't have stories to look back to, this is the time you can create your stories. This ah. is, you know, in <laughs> the point. old days, no, people were told I... not to write their autobiographies uh -huh. until they were uh -huh. at least 40. Uh -huh. yeah. Just, yeah. That just no. does not. That that's not the so, intention. No matter I what I you want to talk about creating your story, and that can be done at any age. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> See, we have the we have the education there, Shona. Good point. <laughs> but that sense of creating a narrative, I think that is so critical because otherwise you're just existing. No. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure about that. What does creating a narrative mean? Is it that you have to publish and let the world know your story? Or no, is it no, that you've made your story for yourself? Yes, that the second. The and second. you could say, well, in that case, a tree falling in a forest, um, has it really fallen? If it's not published, if we don't know it? Oh, yes, it's fallen. The tree had had a good life, you know. The question is really, are you, um, do you have any regrets, I think, and at, at the end of your life? And hopefully, if you have created something along the way, you wouldn't, you know. But if you haven't created and you've lived from day to day, it's very difficult to, to, um, to say, okay, I don't have any regrets. Even even if your regret is just, I only survived, I did not do anything beyond that. That's okay, too. I mean, a lot of women in this world are living from day to day, and their achievement is surviving. So we need to be very careful, right. you know, in saying that, oh, you don't have a story. Of course you have a story. That's why I say everybody's story is important, in my opinion, just because surviving is so difficult for so many women in the world. So, yeah. I, you know, Absolutely. for me is when I was asked the question, how do you, um, you know, what are you thinking? If you look back and looking for what did you, what do you envision my yourself? And honestly, I mean, I can be candid here. I could not imagine that this, what I, the life I'm leading mm -hmm. 15 years ago. It's so beyond me. Right, right. Well, so I, many of us are like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, um, so to think where I'm saying it's been so amazing that I cannot even think beyond that. But also, it is. I think for me, you know, that part has been. You know, you talk about regret and everything. It's actually being comfortable with myself, to mm -hmm. because it it was so difficult for me mm. to accept myself and be comfortable with who I am and everything that that to me has been really one of the things that has been a blessing 
So many yeah. people don't do things out of their own volition. Many of us who are in the diaspora know people who have come over here not of their own volition. Yes. Uh, as as immigrants, they have come because they followed a husband or they followed uh, an arranged marriage situation. So I don't mean to belittle their experience in any way, but to say somewhere along the way, if we assert ourselves and say, I'm going to do this of my own choice, of my own volition, that is what becomes your story. Because story only takes place when you have desire, when you have will, when you say, I control something and I'm going to do X or Y, you know? But if I were to question that a little bit, I would say these many people, many women who have followed their husbands, not out of their own volition, but have decided that this is the path I've chosen and I'm going to make a huge success of it. Mm -hmm. That's yes. their story. They may not that's have their chosen story. it. And that's the will. But the they have made volition it. asserting itself, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Correct. And Innie from her story is a case in point. Mm -hmm. She may not have chosen to do the things or come, you know, in this way. But she is who she is today because she had the will to yes. make the best of it. And yeah. for many Indian women, making the best of it is a huge thing where you're not stifling under the weight of this was not my choice. But here mm -hmm. I am stuck. Whereas you can say this was not my choice, but I've made a real success of it. In my own mind, well, you don't have to do choosing. anything huge. But no, but that is again choosing. I, I'm simply saying that. No, oh, I, I'm yes. I'm not agreeing with that. But I'm simply saying wherever there is volition, wherever there is will, there is story. Wherever there is desire, there is story. Hmm. True. There's actually recognizing and and looking back, but then also that comes, you know, Shona with economics security, it comes with a lot of other things because when you are working, uh, trying to put food on the table and being being suppressed, not, not suppressed, you know, the day-to-day -day what you talked about, it's so difficult for so many of us. It's not only only for women, it's difficult for men too. I mean, it's difficult for humans yeah. at many levels. Yeah. Uh, you can only dream when you're fed and you're sleep and you have a place to sleep Security. you know but otherwise the dreaming comes much later right. and those dreams that allow you to think a little bit and right. then write a little bit and everything and i want to talk about something and you know you mentioned so and, and and i do want to talk about this shona with you and geetha because both of you um 84 happened in india took place which was and I went to India in 85, June of 85, and I was with my mother and my uh, Masi. It was a house of women. The household was a household of women. Uh, we were all there. And one night in June at 9.30, the door banged and, you know, the people came, our neighbors came and said, we've heard that a mob is coming to this locality in Delhi and we need to get you out. We cannot. We don't know what will happen with the house, but we want to get all of you out. In that confusion, I mean, think about it, middle of the night, we are in our, you know, whatever 
thing. I get separated from my mother. I'm with my grandmother. My mossy is in somebody's house. It, I mean, it's actually mayhem for about seven to ten minutes. I have no idea. I'm swept away. All I know is I'm with my grandmother, taken to a back room of our neighbor's house, put in a corner, put a god a godridge cupboard is put in front of me and, and in front of us, and all like you know, and the door is shut. So it's dark. You're hearing sounds outside, and um, I hear my grandmother doing her part. You know, I'm in my 20s. What do I know? And all of a sudden, she stops, and she takes, and and she looks at me, and she says, she takes out from her bag, you know, from her this black bag, and I look into the bag, and I see jewelry, you know, in there. And she says, she takes out this huge knife, literally, and she said, Ini, when that door opens, if that door opens, the first marangi, and then marangi. And there was no question. I mean, it was like it was like a movie scene, but a frightening scene. And and that was the end of the conversation. I never questioned, I never asked. The night passed. Next morning, I we gathered. My mother at that point said. I have to get you on a flight and you go. Because I was married. Shana and Keita, I never spoke about that incident for at least 15 years. No, 25 years. I didn't speak about that. I didn't say that, reveal that to anyone. Nothing happened, but something happened. So I chose to say this at a at a conference and what I got was from one of the edu- from you know academia was well this was a you, sh- you know the it was taking it back to forty seven forty seven mm-hmm. right it was taking it back and you should have done done this and you should have done this and it was you know and all I said was I did not have even the presence of mind to say anything it took me so long to come to terms with the fact that where was I if I got onto that flight. Why was my mother not with me? Mm-hmm. Why was my grandmother not with me? It was like I was just sent. Mm-hmm. And it so, you know, when you talk about trauma, when you talk about women's stories and the fact that, you know, we've had 84 and we don't have many women's stories at 84. And it is, it takes a while to write. I mean, I it took me so long to even talk about it and write about it. So how are you to look at it? It takes safety to write. It takes a lot of uh, artistic support as well. And, um, you know, we're, I, I'm privileged in that sense that I was able to take the time. And I had a husband who was very, very supportive. Many people supported me, even the uh, Canada Council, uh, you know, allowing me to um, have the money to go to Pakistan to research the book, for example. And I've I've had grants, for example, to go to Europe to research the Tiger Claw. All of these things are necessary to the production of art. It's not something that takes place. Oh, just a person sitting there writing and everything is wonderful after that. And then they get published and everybody loves it. No. It's not your sixth grade essay paper. It is something that is a completely different um, 
piece of work that needs critique, that needs editing. There's a, there's an army of people behind every book that ever gets published, you know? So I, I do want to mention that because that that position is not granted to every woman. So it's a it's a big responsibility as well. And I will tell you when I when I um um was writing what the body remembers and I came to the end, I was ready to return the advance because there was no academic who was saying what I was saying in there. And I was only saying it from oral interviews, but there was nothing written. There was nothing um, from academia. And so around that time then, um, Urvashi Butalia published The Other Side of Silence. And that gave me the courage to say, okay, I won't return the advance I'm going forward. <laughs> we give each other courage is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying that, you know, you can't write uh, or be an artist in a vacuum. You need other people to support you. You need other writers. You need academics to do their work and tell you the history because you can't become a historian as well as a novelist, you know. So, so there's so many people who come into the the production of an artwork um, as opposed to just, oh, I'm going to sit there and write my little diary. It's not your journal. It's not your diary. It's a book. It's a novel. It's a, uh, or it's a work of nonfiction and it takes an army to do it. Also, I'm thinking to process an experience like that on that scale um, takes time takes security, as you've said, because we never had any partition narratives uh, around the time of partition. They all mm. came much later. And our generation that may not have known 1947, when mm. it came to 84, suddenly there was this awakening. My God, this is how our families must have felt because now we were feeling it. And we were saying, this is not possible. We were saying, these are our friends and family, and how can they be turning upon us like this? Which is, I think, what our parents felt during partition. And they never felt that they didn't belong in Lahore or Sarboda or Pindi. They were not ready to leave, actually. But when they had to leave, they just left. And for us, 84 was a replay almost. It triggered a memory, a felt memory, not, not a real memory for many of us. It did. But Sorry, it Shona, you mean, were going to say. No, I'm going to pick up on what you said and say that it did trigger that post-traumatic stress. It did trigger many things, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to in as we go forward. What we need to do is also to reclaim our agency as women. We don't have to jump into a well anymore. We can fight back. We can make the Molotov cocktails just as much as the men did in 1984. There is no reason why we have to be the ones protected always, the ones provided for always. We are now in the year 2021 and we can provide for ourselves and we can protect ourselves. And we have to have that attitude as opposed to, oh, please protect me. Oh, please look after me. Oh, if somebody comes, you're going to 
kill me first and then kill yourself. That's old. We've got to get past that now and start saying, we are going to do this differently. So if I look at and that And you know, that's exactly what the Farmers Rally is showing us. It's the women who are not just making the langar. No. They are no. out there. Yeah, out they there, are they're driving the their men. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. same with Shaheen Bao. Mm -hmm. It was both of these protests have been largely non-violent, but the women were not sitting in the back saying, oh, right. we can't do this. They yeah. were out there. It had we're become there, both yeah. a cultural movement as well. Yeah. So there yeah. is a change. There is his, History is what it is. We can't change that, but we can go forward and change the future. I remember just uh, a few weeks ago sitting with yeah. my mother and my niece, and my my uh, niece said, you know, so many things have changed for women, but so many things have not. And my mother said to her, it will take generations. And I said, no, right. you resist at every moment. You do not say it will take generations. You say, I'm changing things now. Mm. We have to start saying that. Right. So there's a question here which I want to um, touch upon. Uh, it's asked by Harjeet Kaur. And she says, Shonaji touched on this topic on how younger women can create their own stories. But can each of you please elaborate, if possible, how to encourage younger women to create and own their stories so that they too can encourage the next and even younger generation? I feel this is very important for uh, important in order for women to keep moving to the forefront and to be eventually considered equal or recognized and valued in a society as a norm and not as anything special. So how do we encourage that, Shona and Gita? We encourage them by listening to them and taking them seriously even at a young age. Not saying you're too young to say this or think this, but allow them the freedom to be. I have a little bit of a different take on that because I'm looking at the wording of that question um, to eventually be considered equal. I consider myself equal. I'm not fighting my religion. My religion says I'm equal. I don't have to fight my religion, unlike a lot of other people in many other religions. So I consider myself equal because Nanak said so. So... I don't ask for somebody but to actually, consider me. Jonah, sorry to interrupt you there. Sorry, just to say that you may consider yourself equal, but what about the society around you? What we are thinking about is the society who does not, right. act, who cherry picks what the religion is saying. Yes. Yes. So you have to point out the difference between deed and word. You have to point out the difference between action and, and what people are saying. And we've, by the way, in the Sikh community particularly, we have taken on the, um, the language that is so necessary and so post-70s, you know, of equality and feminism and everything. We have men who talk the right talk. They just don't necessarily walk the walk. So we have to enforce that sometimes to say, all right, if you say this, you must do this. You cannot just say this. So it's our role then to enforce what the language uh, 
is, what, what people are saying, and make sure that it conforms to the actions. Now, that may be in terms of financial, that may be in terms of, of, uh, of your personhood, um, whether it's uh, um, disallowing anybody to touch your body choice in that regard, whether it's um, uh, financial choice, whatever it may be, we have to fight that and say, no, you will walk that walk if you're going to talk that talk. I also look at it, you know, the what you mentioned, Shona, that uh, that to listen to the stories. But the stories are also, it's actually when the younger women see women in places where are the so-called male domain. It it gives them the power to write about it, to talk about it, to think about it. And that's how I feel you encourage the younger women to think about it because writing is only one part of it. Mm -hmm. Unless the action isn't there, the dream cannot come. So I know I mentioned something to you, Shona, earlier in this conversation before we got on air that at times I get tired of always pushing Mm -hmm. and I want to take a break. And and I'm getting to the part of the, do I pick the battles and you were, you were, you were just, you did not give me a break. Sean. I'm sorry, you don't get a break here. I, I want to point out that there's a difference between men's narratives and, and women's narratives, okay? Um, Hollywood has uh, promoted the hero's journey, which is a very solo journey of uh, a man's life, okay? He comes to comes of age, he has a conflict, then the conflict becomes personal, then he travels out to slay the dragons and get the girl and come home, and that's the hero's journey, right? Our narrative as women is a completely different type of narrative. It involves the status quo being all perfect and wonderful, and then something terrible happens. And then we descend into an area that we're not sure of. We're completely at sea. But then what happens, and now think of the Wizard of Oz, all right, where there's a cyclone and Dorothy goes into um, a place where we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, you know, and you go forward and you get friends and you get support and you get help. And from there, you meet the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, the Lion, and you go forward and you face that wizard and you pull back the screen and you find out, you know what, there's nobody there. There's no fear that I cannot overcome if I have support from my friends. And finally, you get back to Kansas. So the Wizard of Oz story really is our feminine journey. And if we look at ourselves also as needing support sometimes, it's not going to be so terrifying when we get tired and we look at you know, our, our lives and say, I just can't resist this other thing and this new, new obstacle in my way. Yes, you can. And you can because you have support from other women. Widen your circle if you need to and get support from other women because it does take a village to overcome obstacles. Yeah. I agree with everything Shona has said. Um, So I don't really have much to add to it, except to say that vulnerability is a great fear Mm. for a lot of women, because Mm -hmm. our journeys are not solo journeys. So if you tell your story, your family is 
part of that story. How will yeah. they take it? Your community yeah. is part of your story. You're stepping out of your protected circle, as it were. And yes, you need to, absolutely, but it's never a solo journey. Right. It's a journey where we have to consider others around us. It doesn't mean you give in to them, but the way you fight those battles are different. Mm -hmm. Right. And and often the people and the obstacles we're fighting are within our family anyway. Uh, how difficult is it, for instance, to cross the aisle and sit on the men's side of the Gurdwara? Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> what does it take to actually resist doing that? How difficult is it, for instance, to carry a palki, you know? Yes. Between... When you try to to do sukhasan or prakashan, whatever, and and yes. actually yeah. hold the Guru Granth Sahib in your hands, how difficult is that? Does somebody push you away? I have been pushed away yeah. numerous times, right? <laughs> but I still try to do it. But you know, things have changed because when both my parents died, it was I who lit the funeral pyre, although my brothers were there. Yeah. And they made it a family ritual. Um, and all of us mm -hmm. finally lit the fire. And nobody protested. The pundits did tell them at the cremation ground, you can't let her do it. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, but she is doing it. Mm -hmm. End of matter. You see in that story that the men had yeah. to be feminist men, not just to allow that in quotes, but to promote it, but to Absolutely. say, we yep. are water. Yes, yes. Men had to be feminist as well. Absolutely. And that's why the community and the family is really important and their support is really important. Mm -hmm. Which then brings us to a discussion of, of many kinds of abuse that take place within the family, right? So Absolutely. we know about domestic violence. We know about violence Do against we women in general. Go there, yes, we have to go there. We have yes. to go there because that is our next frontier. We need to acknowledge that this takes place in our Sikh communities. We need to acknowledge financial abuse as well. We need to acknowledge that the wealth gap takes place between men and women, and this is on a global scale. You know, women's wealth versus men's wealth is a huge difference. And we have to fight for ourselves and for other women, bridge that gap. So yes, we have to go to domestic violence. We have to go into the issues of financial abuse as well. There's so many women I know who are shernis outside the house, absolute tigresses. And when they come home, they are the sweet daughters-in-law who cannot talk about money, who do not have the password to the bank accounts, who cannot file their taxes separately, who do not talk to the tax accountant. So, yes, we have to start talking about that. So, Shauna, is that because, and, and it's a question, and is that because, you know, there's only so much you can fight for, and if they are doing what they are doing, as you call them, shernis outside, Mm. And I'm saying, okay, inside the house, if I have to just deal with this, so I can do that work, I'm willing to do it. 
because that's you know it's yeah you can make that choice of course you can yeah you you, these are choices you'd make of course you'd make those choices but you can also get help you Mm -hmm. can also ask your tax accountant for the information you can also ask your bank to give you those passwords you can also change those passwords you can also say no i wish to be included in the next time you buy something or you sell something i want to be included in that decision so if you don't say it you won't ha- get it so my point is that you can yeah you can avoid the the whole subject of money which a lot of women do but um i kind of showed what happened um to one woman in the 1940s when when uh, she did that. This was in the Tiger Claw, and uh, Noor Inayat Khan hates talking about money in that book. And unfortunately, it comes back to bite her because at some point, financial abuse will come to hit you, whether it's physical or it's not. Financial abuse is not not uh, physical, but we have many women going through both at the same time, and we need to acknowledge that both are taking place, not just one thing. You touched on something which was, um, which I am going through with a very dear friend of mine, who is who has come here to the United States for medical treatment for her husband, and husband's not doing well. The point is a joint family, right? So there's there's now tension, and between the brothers. And what my friend said, I want to share that with you. She says, "Any, I have." to keep peace with my brother-in-laws because my husband is not well. I don't know for how, you know, um, he's extremely unwell. She said, all the money is in the joint family. Mm. I have nothing. Mm. So I'm very aware of my situation that when I go back to India and if he's not with me, I do not have a rupee to my name. And that that's terrifying. That's and that's and I and she does and, and she said, and I don't have a son mm-hmm. in the same breath. Yeah. So this whole idea of what is it, your son is your meal ticket? No, well, I don't know. The son, you know, and, and so she and it's an extremely privileged life. Extreme she's living a very extremely privileged life. And yet in that privileged life, which you say Sherni and everything. There's a very negotiating, and I'm, you know, and I'm listening to that, and I'm saying, yeah. I just, I don't understand, but I, I, I'm getting it. I, I sense your fear. Yeah. Well, what that is someone do? who has golden handcuffs on, okay, and the golden handcuffs are something that women of privilege have so often. But I think it's very necessary to call out the women who are also involved in perpetuating such abuse in the family because the reason that she is without support and without a penny to her name is also because she has not been provided for by the women in her family as well. Hmm. That's not right. And when it's not right, she needs to get the support of other women in the family and say, you know, you need to, to do something differently because this is not working. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm against you or this is a terrible thing or or isn't she awful that she's asserting her rights. Rights are rights. We have to assert them. 
And it doesn't matter if we change the law 25 different ways if we're not going to assert our rights and say this is the law or this is our right. Um, you know, we have to assert ourselves as well and take the help of other women in the family too. Yeah, Geeta, do you want to add something? Because I, I have a question which has come from Charanjit Kaur. I will ask that question. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I think the question of choice needs to be interrogated more in the way Shauna suggests. I'm a millennium and I have not felt free to be who I am until I was 30 plus. And so we actually do need to interrogate this question intergenerationally. My question is how these ideas of choice take place in the diaspora sick women, according to the speakers. Mm. So how do you, you know, you, you talk about generational, you've written about generational genre. What are you, what can you recommend? Any thoughts on that? You know, um, I think, Older women are sometimes far more progressive than we give them credit to be, you know. And um, we look on older women as uh, upholders of tradition. They may not be. I still remember my grandmother saying to me, you know what? Your life doesn't have to be like mine. You can do things differently. And it was such a freeing thing for me to hear that. So I think it's a great message to send to younger people, you know, whether it's a little girl or whether it's a 20-year-old or a millennial, as you say, your life does not have to be like mine. It should be different. It should be very different. It should be, um, it should be 10 times what, what my life has been and will be. So if we free women to do that, free our girls, really, to to be whatever they can be. And I don't mean be whatever you can be, and that means being uh, a waitress in a, in a bar, okay? I'm talking about taking full advantage of your faculties, whether it's your your um, abilities, your, your brain and your body, both. Um, if you want to ride horses, play soccer, do it. Uh, you know, don't, don't be held back. But we, as now... I consider myself a little bit older woman. Um, I have to give that same message to younger women and say, your life does not have to be like mine, just as my grandmother said that to me. So. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the way we are creating silos of generation, of gender, mm -hmm. etc. It is our job to either chat to older women if they are of the traditional mold, have a discussion, um, talk about these things. Same with the younger women. Just because they are young does not give them any privilege. Just as because if we are old, it does not give us privilege either. So keeping those doors of conversation open is very important. And the same is true of men. So as Shona pointed out, domestic abuse, for instance, is a problem. But unless we manage to change 
the perpetrators in some way or talk about it, you have to have a many-pronged strategy of convincing the women to be your support systems, of convincing the government that they need to help you with this, and of convincing the men that this is really unacceptable. And the job is to teach them that this is not on. And it's not easy, but it's something that we all struggle with together, I think. We don't live in single-gendered worlds, just as we don't live in single um, age groups. So we need yeah. to be able to communicate with each other. Uh, may I say, though, that the domestic violence um, issues in the diaspora are slightly different from the ones in um, in, in the old country, which whatever the old country happens to be because Sikhi, of course, is a worldwide religion. Um, but in the diaspora, anyway, I feel that um, the issues with regard to domestic violence um, are, are somewhat tinted by the fact that the majority community is against the men to begin with, and particularly with Sikh right. men, because they bear the burden of the religion by carrying... Um, you know, with the fact of wearing the turban or not wearing the turban and all of those issues that surround the turban itself, you know. So um, for us, um, because we feel that the majority community is against our men, very often the diaspora women are, are much more out there and much more present in the public sphere and then have to take the brunt of that at home because the masculinity is challenged. So right. there's so many issues in the diaspora that don't exist. And we put ourselves behind and say, oh, well, not right now. We can't touch this issue right now because look what the guy is facing in the larger community. So, so far, Absolutely. we have been quite, uh, you know, quite willing to put ourselves second just because we see the discrimination that the man is yeah. facing in the larger community. I was saying, if we remember the stories of Maya Angelou and Toni Morrison and all these amazing Black women writers, mm -hmm. they got the most critiques from their men, saying, mm -hmm. what are you doing to the face and the name of our community? We are already discriminated and vilified against, mm -hmm. and you're just right. adding to that image of us. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this actually brings me to the point of when, uh, you know, because I deal, uh, you know, I work with a lot of teenagers and younger group, uh, uh, the generation with the youth. And this is what, you know, I constantly hear this difference of how the mothers are treating the boys and the mothers are treating the daughters, mm -hmm. their daughters. And then this, this friction that comes in that the, because he is wearing the dastar and he's given much more privilege and is overlooked a lot of times. And the mother will say to the daughter, you know, he goes through a lot. So if he's going to let out at home, that's the same. Yeah. Which we are perpetuating exactly what you said, Shauna. Yeah. That, no, it is not, uh, you know, and it's very hard for... Uh, you know, and I've had conversations with the with the women, 
you know, with the mothers and saying, mm-hmm. you know, what we're doing is raising another generation to think like that because the women, the girls are not going to accept it because they're already vocalizing it, mm-hmm. yeah. that they're going to take it from their brothers. Yeah. Well, we're raising our little monsters that we're going to have to deal with later on because we're telling them you're not woman. So therefore, you're you're okay. You know, you're, you're better. In other words, you're superior. And that's not a good message. Yeah. And that is that is very much uh, in the diaspora, which I have found very much prevalent. And it's something which needs to be really addressed. And I think it is being it needs to be addressed by the women by the mothers, because that's their domain. Well, good luck on that. But I just think everybody has to fight it in their own way, in their, where the conflict arises, you fight, you know? Yeah. So, uh, Shona, there was another question. Maybe um, I'll ask you. Oh, there's, I think there's a comment here. I've seen a by Nav, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I've seen women try to sit on men's side to record Kirtan and being made to feel very uncomfortable. I have seen older religious men, women try to participate in Ardas and be treated badly. What message do, does this send to all the other women and girls? Equality is not lived in our communal places or family places. Um, you've already talked about that, Shona. Yes, but may I suggest one thing? When you see that happening, you need to go to the assistance of that woman and sit next to her and say, no, it's fine. Thank you very much. She will sit over here or she will participate in Ardas. You need to come to her assistance. So if we do that, time and again, the message will get through that this is not acceptable and this is acceptable behavior. And um, we need to change that. So the only way we can change it is by going to the support of that woman who is facing that, I feel. Yeah. You know, I was giving, um, I was distributed, I chose to distribute Prashad at the Gurdwara. Yeah. One, uh, one, one divan. And, you know, I went out, got the thing and started. And there were, there was one man who refused to take it from me. I just, <laughs> and but what was interesting was yeah. there were a whole lot of other men who stepped forward. Yes. And, and that, that was, and that was, you know, and those are the moments where it become teaching moments. And the same thing happened to me where, you know, it was Bisaki and the Granthi looked at me and he needed to go move. And he looked at me like, come and take my place because I need to go whatever. Mm-hmm. So I understood went up there and sat down. Believe me, within five minutes, not even five minutes of me sitting there, you know, a man comes quickly running, 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 like there was some major crime that had been done Mm -hmm. and, you know, wanted to sit. And I understood, but it's a, you know, it's a full divan. And I said, let it be this time. And I I came down. You mean you actually came down? I did. But I did, I did, because... I don't know, for whatever reason, I said, this is not the battle I want to fight right now. Mm-hmm. But there were a whole lot of men from my Gurdwara went up to him and said, you do that again. Mm-hmm. And you're not coming back here. You do not do this. So these are the moments that even when you have to go through this, yeah. I mean, for me, yes, while it was bad, I understood it, where he was coming from. I, ex- I respected that. But what for me was that all of them, 
came up and it showed the Sangha that this is not acceptable in the Gurdwara was more. But yeah, this no, I don't respect his uh, his having done that. No way. I but you know, and that's where that that navigation comes for me, uh, Shona. The community, uh, community. This is my gurdwara. How much can I push? And I do push. Mm-hmm. And so there are those. You know, you go to those limits, and it's a question of navigating. Everyone and fights as much as they can. You know, I mean, no, everyone fights in the way they can and as much as they can. And I, I am the wrong uh, person to sit in judgment of this because. In, in my case, I actually left the Gurdwara for a long time. If they didn't accept my husband, I was not willing to, to go back to the Gurdwara. But um, I, I do think that uh, we, if you can find support amongst the women, that would be very helpful because they can also, I think ask, asking the men to come to our assistance is a little bit, um, is a little bit putting ourselves down again. But then, Shona, why aren't the women coming up? They had equal say. They should. They That's the point. Should. That's what I'm saying. We have to come to each other's assistance. We really do. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. really do. So we're coming to the end of our time. Geeta, are you back on or no? I'm, yes, I'm on. Okay. Is there anything you wanted to add? Because I thought, you know, we're coming to the end and I'd love to hear your closing statements. You know, what something you want to share, whatever it is. You know, you want to share with everyone or say it's your time. Shona, do you want to go first? Um, I just feel like we can only be real to each other if we share our stories, whether that's verbally or whether that's in writing doesn't matter really. But asking somebody their story and asking uh, somebody to listen to your story is is um, very critical to increasing empathy, increasing understanding, moving us forward. Um, and you know the normal questions that people ask in in uh, uh, in let's say in Story Corps and and places like that, you know, where they're asking the normal questions: Where were you born? What did you do? Et cetera, et cetera. I think also have to be illuminated by um, our understanding of history. So for instance, if you're talking to a grandmother or um, uh, an older person, do ask if there was any history of Barda in their families. Do mm-hmm. ask if there was any history of polygamy uh, in either their generation or the previous generation. Um, do ask if um, there was any history of surrogate motherhood. These are things that, you know, we know took place in the past, but we don't understand how they're affecting us today. If you have any history of Parda, for instance, you could be very subject to agoraphobia. So these are things that we need to ask for our own medical history, for our own understanding of our families. And then um, to go forward um, and come into a, a larger understanding of what does that mean to women in the world drop those borders and go across those borders and reach out to each other. That's all I have to say. Gita? So actually, while we've been talking, I've been thinking the world has changed so dramatically 
from what it was when we were young. So naturally, our reactions and our stories and our viewpoints have also become different. So if we were going to put everything in a historical context, you're right. We need to keep that context in mind. And it's a cultural history more than a straightforward history. But to come back to Shona's niece, who said so much has changed and so much hasn't. And that's where we are now, that we've made huge progress, as we see, especially in public life, as we are seeing in the women's protest movements, in rallies, so forth. Um, but there's so much that has not changed either. And the stuff that is taking place within the closed doors of the house or the community or the Gurdwara, um, we need to open those doors a little bit more. Yeah. And that's not said true only of the diaspora, that's true of India too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I want to thank both of you, really. It was, it was wonderful to spend this hour, 90 minutes with the both of you. Uh, you know, we didn't get to see you, Geetha, but we will get you back again. We will do another one of these to make sure that we have you and our audience sees you. Um, thank you to the two of you. Jocelyn, would you like to take over now? Yes. Um, so I'm more than excited to share upcoming programs, the Countdown to Vasakhi, which will take place from April 1 to April 13th. So every day over these two weeks at 11 a.m., you will hear a reflection piece from one of our Sikhi speakers via our social media. And then finally, on April 14th, in honor of Vasakhi, we will end this series with a one-hour webinar um, at 11 a.m. EST. And please note that this webinar will be on a Wednesday rather than a Saturday. I hope to see you all tune in, and this will conclude today's webinar. You are listening to Sikcast by Sikh Research Institute illuminating every path.